So, just like I told you earlier, my name is Aaron. I'm the student ministries director. So, <clears throat> my preaching style might be a little bit different than Philip, because I preach to teenagers every Wednesday. So, when they get a little out of hand <clears throat> or they get a little tired, I jump on the seat and start preaching from the seat. I'm a little afraid to do that in our theater style seating because I may kill myself. So, I'm going to stay up here and not jump around too much. But um, I, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity uh, to preach God's word. Um, how many's ever received an invitation in the mail? Maybe, probably the better question is who hasn't ever received an invitation in the mail? I have a love-hate relationship with invitations. Uh, I, there, are, there are some good invitations, and then there are some bad invitations. Some, some good invitations are like birthday parties where they say, don't bring a present. <laughs> I love those parties. And, it's, and my wife would tell you that it's because I'm cheap, but that's not the truth. That's not the truth. Uh, I'm frugal, but um, when you buy a gift for somebody, and you never know uh, if they're really going to like it. I mean, let's be real. You get them a gift card, you may get them to the wrong store. Uh, we, we bought... I'm going to share this. I may, I'm, when I get up to speak, sometimes my discernment goes off with my relationship with my wife, and I say things I probably shouldn't have, and that's okay, because we'll work on a relationship later. So we bought, <laughs> this isn't a marriage message, just so you know. Uh, we bought three pillow covers, pillow sheet, pillow whatever, the thing that covers, shams, thank you, <laughs> pillow shams for my, for my nieces who are teenagers. And I'm telling you right now, we, we FaceTime at Christmas every time we buy presents and we open presents. And I can tell you, this is the look that they did. Oh. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. You never know. You know. That's why I don't like going to parties with presents. It's not because I'm cheap, but I love parties where you just show up and have fun. I love those type of invitations. I love, I love the invitations to like award ceremonies. Like when, when you get an award, I, I haven't gotten too many invitations to them. But, but when you do, those are really fun because it's, you know, it's, hey, we're celebrating you. Huh? I love that. Um, uh, there, there are some other invitations that are good, but there are some bad invitations as well. I used to, as a police officer, give out some bad invitations occasionally. <laughs> uh, Debbie would know that, right? <laughs> she likes tickets. Uh, uh, what is the worst invitation? What is the worst invitation? You, this is, you can talk. What is the worst invitation? No, it's wedding. It's a wedding invitation. <laughs> Told you I have a love-hate relationship with, with uh, invitations. It's the wedding. I am not against marriage. Actually, I'm for it because I'm a preacher and I, I like weddings. I like marriage. or I like marriage, not so much the wedding part of it. Uh, you, you go to a wedding. You have, first, you have to dress up. Uh, you you get, get dressed up. You're going to sit in a hot building because somehow the air conditioner doesn't work on the one day that you go and, 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 and are going to have this wedding. And, and then you, you, you may like the people up there. You may even love the people up there. And they are going to get up and they're going to declare how much they love each other. And then everybody they've ever known is going to come up and say something about them or, or everybody that they've ever known is going to sing a song about them. And, and, it's, and then the preacher is preaching to them. So you're just kind of like just observing all this thing for like what seems like your entire life. And, and then finally they say, do they kiss? And, and, and then you leave. And it's just like, this has got to be the worst. 
Like, like I've attended the best wedding I've ever attended. And, and, and I'll share the story, and then we'll get into the Word. I, I was there 30 minutes late. I got an invitation. Somehow I messed up the time by accident. And I show up there 30 minutes late. I walk in. They're saying the I do at the very end, and then they kiss and they walk out. And I am happen to be on the back row where they're going out. I'm like, hey, yeah, yeah. So then I, I, I go through the walk line, you know, shake, hey, good job, great, great wedding, you know, and then give them my card, and I'm out 15 minutes in and out flat. <laughs> Best wedding ever. <laughs> Best wedding. So... Um, if you want to invite me to your wedding, I'll be glad to come. I'll be glad to come. But just know in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, how soon are we going to be done here? Um, but, you know, there's some good invitations. There's some bad invitations. And then, and then there's the greatest invitation ever. And that's the invitation from Jesus. And, and we're going to read about that this morning. Uh, as we start this new series in John, uh, Heal the Hurting, we're going to look at how Jesus offers healing in the form of the greatest invitation that's ever extended, been extended to man. So if you'd open up your Bibles in John 1, 35, and we're going to read through this, and then we're going to come back and work through it, okay? John 1, 35 through 51. It says in verse 35, The next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Some other verses and translations have said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Very powerful. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. So they had been following John the Baptist. That's the John that was there. And now they began to follow Jesus based on John's testimony of him. And when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? That's a really good question, right? It really gets to the point. You know, you're here this morning. I'm going to ask you the same question. What are you looking for? What are you looking for from God? As we continue, they said to him, Rabbi, this means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. And it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. Now the other disciple, we don't know who he is. Some have speculated it is John the beloved disciple who actually penned um, this, this book. But he, Andrew, first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah. Spending just a, a, a day with Jesus, he knew he was the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus first thing he does is he's reaching out to others and bringing them to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he, he said, you are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Peter, the one that we know him by. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and told him. Again, we see that once they encountered Jesus, they were back out trying to find others to follow and we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, Philip answered. Then, he, then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He said, How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathaniel replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. 
Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You know, when I looked at this passage, it's a powerful passage. And I, I, I think Pastor, last, we, last time he was preaching through this, said that to go through the entire book of John, you could literally spend every day for months and months going through it. It's so packed. Even the, just these few verses are so packed with so much uh, theology in them. But it, what, when I began to read this, what, what I really saw was that Jesus was giving a calling to the disciples. And that's not just because it was like at the heading of, of where I was reading in the Bible. You know, I did, oh, that's a calling, the calling of the disciples. You know, real deep study I did there. But if you, if you understand what's going on, he's giving them the great invitation to follow him. And, and as I began to read, I, I see that there's three really distinct invitations that, that, that we see coming out of this. And one is the invitation to relationship. The idea is, is peace with God. See, Jesus came to this earth not just to hang out, but actually to bring peace. It was the reason that he stepped out of heaven. God became flesh and dwelt among us, right? And, 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 and what we understand that he's not inviting these guys over for afternoon coffee. He's not just inviting them to take a journey with them. He's, he's not uh, just inviting them to live their lives for him. He's actually inviting them into an eternal relationship with God through him. What makes this, this, this invitation so profound is the way that, that Jesus extends this invitation to the disciples and, and, and to us today. This is not a blind invitation. This is not just some kind of, oh, everybody come, you know, to the party. It's not, it's not the donuts in the break room, right? You with me? <laughs> Somebody's with me. The donuts in the break room, you know, you go in the break room, there's like three donuts left, and somebody just left them there. And, and they're like the, the ones that nobody wants, you know, the ones that have no sugar on them. And, 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 but you look at them, you're like, oh, I shouldn't, but, you know, you take it and you eat it and then you're like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have. And you throw it away, you know, it's like, it's an afterthought. This is not an afterthought. Understand this. Jesus was extending a personal invitation. He's extending a personal invitation to you as well. And see, see, we know this because it, it says here in verse 47, then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said about him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He said, how do you know me, Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. See, Jesus knew him. You know what I suspect? He had the same story about each one of the disciples. You know what else I suspect? He has a story just like that for each one of us. You know, I know he has a story like that about me. See, he saw me when I was 13 years old. And I was sitting on my little waterbed in my room by myself one night. And I was contemplating what I needed to do to be a true Christian because I grew up in church. My dad was a deacon. My grandfather was a preacher. I knew church in and out. When I was five years old, I made a false profession of faith because I wanted to get out of a spanking, and I had lit. I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> it worked. Um, problem was is that I lived on that false profession. I had said some kind of prayer that my dad had led me in. I'm sure he was sincere, 
but I had no earthly idea what I was saying. I was just saying it because I knew that if I didn't, I was going to get a spanking that night down in the church basement. And so I lived on that. And when I was 13 years old, I knew that it was all fake. I knew that I was just going to church, but I didn't want to admit it. And yet God saw me there in my room, on my waterbed, and he called to me. He invited me into a personal relationship with him, and I accepted the invitation. See, not only does he know us, this invitation to relationship, he also understands us. See, in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, it says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, this is important, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. See, see God knows us, but he understands us, and that's important because many of us, can put on a great show, even with our family. Like, let, let's just be real. Like, if everything that you had ever thought was being played on this screen right now, I guarantee there would be haste in destroying that computer system up there. <laughs> I, I'm going to be honest. If my thoughts, my hearts, my motives, my intentions were all being played up there, I wouldn't be here. I'd be running and embarrassed and, and, and mortified, and I would probably be up there destroying the machine as well. The fact of the matter is, is Jesus truly knows us. He knows us more than anybody else knows us, even our best friend. He knows me more than my wife knows me, that we've spent 18 years together. But he also understands us. He knows our pains. He knows our hurts. He knows what makes us do things. He knows the temptation. He knows the weaknesses. And what's cool about this is he knows us and he understands us, but he also loves us. See, that, that's the invitation, right? It's, it, it's a personal invitation. Tim Keller put it like this, to be loved but not known is comforting, but it's superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear, right? For them to know you and then turn away. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, is a lot like being loved by God. See, knowing us and understanding us, and understanding us, he still gave us his son, Jesus. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's that love that nailed Jesus to a cross to become the lamb of God, to take away our sins, who also brought him back to life to give us hope of eternity. In 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares for you. Romans 5, 8, But he proves his own love for us, in that while we were sinners, he knew we were sinners. He knows the depravity of each one of us. And yet, he says, I still love you and Christ died for us. See, it's a personal invitation that I see here, but I also see uh, an invitation to relationship, but also an invitation to community. See, Jesus knew that, that calling these disciples and calling us to him, it would be difficult to stay on the narrow path. It'd be difficult to follow him. It'd be difficult to remain uh, uh, righteous and holy before him. 
And so he offered us a support system that he started with the disciples. They're the founding members of the church. But here's the thing. We have to deconstruct the idea that most of us have about the church and reconstruct the ideas around what Jesus intended the church to be. The church is not buildings and organizations and business. It's not Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. When we look at, back at what Jesus intended the church to be, we see it was a family. It was a community. You see, Jesus created the church to, to be a place where we would care for each other. Now, now, I understand most of us, if not all of us, have experienced hurt in what we would consider to be a church. My, I have a, a family member, a close family member, who was playing softball at a church softball league. And the pastor of the church, he, he was playing, uh, my, my family member was playing outfield, and the, the pastor of the church was playing shortstop. And my uncle missed the catch, and the pastor of the church turned around and yelled at him. And this, he was just a visitor. He yelled at him, and my, my family member has never stepped back into a church since that moment. Get this. I understand. You, you want to know reason that, that, that people who are the church sometimes hurt others? It's because hurt, hurting people hurt other people. See, see, we're all broken and messed up people in here, and we're just coming here to find help. But let me tell you, that is not what God intended the church to be. He in turn intended us to be a family that cared about one another. Philippians 2, 4 says this, everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Ephesians 4, 32 says, and we are to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ Jesus. John 13, 34 through 35 says this. This is, this is where it's at, guys. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, Jesus says, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, my followers, if you lo have love for one another. See, the church, the group here, the family, the community, we are to be caring for one another. You know, last night or yesterday afternoon, there was a funeral. And you know what I saw? I saw the church being the church. I saw the, the, the family of God coming together to support a brother who had lost his daughter. That's what the church is supposed to be. We're not supposed to be hurting one another. We're not supposed to be gossiping and causing disunity. We're supposed to build each other up. That's the second thing. We're to encourage each other. There's supposed to be accountability. They're supposed to, when we come together to worship, it's not because this is the only place you can worship. No, actually, this is only the, 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 the uh, uh, I can't think of the word, the coming together. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, sometimes when you're youth pastor, you can't come up with words. This is the coming together. This is the, 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 the joining of the body after a full week of worshiping God privately that we come and corporately worship together. That, that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be encouraging one another. When, when I see people really worshiping God and I see people raising their hand, man, that encourages my heart. I was, man, I need to worship God more. Man, I want that relationship with God, and that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be an encouragement. It's supposed to be an uplifting. It's not supposed to be a place where we grudgingly go because, oh, I gotta get dressed up, and I gotta be gone for an hour. I could be in my garden. I could be at the beach. No, this is supposed to be a place of community, of connection, of uplifting. 
But it's not just supposed to be a place of, of caring and, and encouragement, but it's also supposed to be a place of challenge. See, when you come and you hear the word of God, it's supposed to challenge you. It's supposed to challenge you to do better, to live your life closer to God. It's supposed to cause you to grow in him. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. That, that is the whole idea. See, guys, Acts 2.42 has the, the picture of what the church is supposed to be. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread into prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. That is the church. That is the community that God is inviting us into. And, and lastly, we see that the invitation that Jesus extends here is one to mission. See, the two first ones are really, really good. Uh, it's to peace with God, have a relationship with the creator of the universe. Second one is I get to have a relationship uh, with other people that are like-minded and they're going to push me forward. The last one's sometimes difficult because now I've got to go do something about it. See, if you look at, in this passage, every time the disciples spent time with God, their immediate response was to go find others. What is Jesus' purpose that he's calling us to? What is the mission? Well, Luke 19, 10 says, he, 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 he declares his mission. He says, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. That's pretty simple, right? That's hard to get, get a little off, huh? To seek and to save those who are lost. See, see, guys, God has given us a mission, a search and rescue mission. You know, when I was a police officer in Independence, occasionally we would get these calls where somebody had gone missing. Typically it was an elderly or somebody with uh, mental handicaps or, or a child had gone missing. And you know what we did? We didn't just say, okay, we'll, we'll get right on that. No, you know what we did was we rallied everybody that we had available and we went out looking for that child, for that person, for that elderly person, until we found them. We would get the dogs out. We had a helicopter that we'd get out. We would, we would scour the woods near their house. We would go around neighborhoods. We'd be knocking on doors. We'd be searching around their house. Why? Because it was a search and rescue mission. Somebody needed us. Can I tell you this morning, the mission of God is one of urgency. This last week, Wednesday, I hope you don't mind if I take my jacket off. I think it's messing with my, my mic a little bit, or I'm just hot, one of the two. Wednesday night, one of our students who attends uh, our, our, our life groups was driving his vehicle, and he didn't maneuver around a corner, and he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and he was killed in a car accident. Can, can I tell you that, thankfully, he was saved. But there are so many people like him that are stepping into eternity that don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And, and you know who the mission is given to? It's not just, just me. It's not just Billy Graham, Franklin Graham, people like that. 
You, you know who the, the mission was given to? It was given to the church. It was given to you. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what God is calling us to. Not only is God calling us and inviting us to these things, but I think it's important for us to understand who who God is calling, who God is inviting in this. See, God is calling the unqualified. The disciples were fishermen, rebels, and traders. You, you guys know they, they were fishermen? Yeah. They, they, that's what they did. They weren't spiritual people. They weren't religious people. They were ordinary people. See, God calls the unqualified, the inadequate, the ordinary, the down and out, the hurting, the weak and wounded, and the messed up. He has been doing this throughout the entirety of time. See, Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abandoned by his family. Moses had a speech impediment and was a, was a criminal. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. David was an adulterer and murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. That would be weird. Jonah ran from God. <laughs> I'm going to start over if you guys don't stop. <laughs> Jonah ran from God. The Samaritan woman was a multiple divorcee. Zacchaeus was greedy and a thief. Martha was a, a, a warrior. The disciples abandoned Jesus in his neediest hour. Peter denied him. Paul persecuted the Christians. Timothy was way too young. And Lazarus was dead. And yet, he called every one of them to a personal relationship with him, to the community of God, and to his mission. If any of you are in that category, then God is inviting you this morning. If any of you are not in that category somehow, then God is still calling you. This last week, one of the great men of our faith, Billy Graham, was laid to rest. I had the opportunity to go to uh, one of his um, rallies in Jacksonville, where I got to see him in person preach. It was a truly amazing thing to see the hand of God work in such a, a mighty way. They laid him to rest, and I understand that he spoke to over 215 million people in his lifetime. That's not including the TV audience. He spoke in over 185 countries and led hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. You want to know the difference between you and me and Billy Graham? This is, this is profound, guys. This is the moment. You want to know the difference? Nothing. He was just an ordinary person used of God to do mighty things. God still wants to use ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things. This is the invitation that Jesus gave the disciples 2,000 years ago, and 12 people changed the world. We have a few more than that in here today. We have the opportunity that they have 
to radically change the world for Jesus, the first step is accepting Jesus Christ's invitation to have a personal relationship with him. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're trying to figure this whole thing out. You know that, that you're messed up just like the rest of us here. You've, you've made bad decisions. You've done bad things. You even think bad thoughts and maybe you've even said bad things. The Bible calls that sin and that's why Jesus had to come. Jesus stepped out of heaven and burst into his own creation so that he could live a perfect life that we couldn't. Die on a cross, sacrifice that we could not make. And then after three days, he came back to life. We call that the gospel because it was good news because it is in that news that we can receive forgiveness of our sins when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. That is the invitation.